if you develop medicines, you really make a difference. That's the voice of Ivo Timmermans, CEO at Plico Therapeutics, headquartered in the Netherlands. Listen in to hear insights from Ivo about leadership in biopharma and how Plico is working to develop breakthrough therapies that change the balance in the treatment of cancer. I'm John Simboli. You're listening to BioBoss. Today I'm speaking with Ivo Timmermans, CEO of Plico Therapeutics, headquartered in the Netherlands. Welcome to BioBoss, Ivo. Well, thank you, John. It's a pleasure for me to participate in your cast. Ivo, what led you to your role as co-founder and CEO of Plico Therapeutics? I would say it's actually uh, a matter of serendipity. I have worked for the last 30 years in pharma and biotech companies in various roles. Uh, my, my background is that of a medical doctor. And uh, shortly after I graduated, I got involved in uh, clinical studies with uh, HIV compounds. And soon thereafter, I started to work in a pharmaceutical uh, company developing products. And over the years, I've had several roles. And I would say about five or six years ago, I met an oncologist in uh, in Chicago at uh, at ASCO, which is the, the largest oncology conference uh, in, in the US. And she introduced me to a concept that is now the basis for a company. And at, at that time, I was uh, I had a role in a company that were, was more logistics and distribution company. So there was not really an opportunity to to follow up on that. But when I left that company, I contacted her again and we started talking. And I realized there was quite a, quite a lot to the concept that she was exploring. So we decided to work together. Um, uh, I, I contacted a few former colleagues and assembled a group of people who I knew had certain expertise. And uh, about four, four years ago, we started with four founders, and and that is still the core of the of the current business. Had you considered in that early stage when you became aware of the scientific foundation for the what could be the company? Had you considered taking that idea to an existing pharma company and saying? Would you be interested in bringing this idea in-house? I did, yes. But the thing that you should know is that traditional pharma companies are also uh, slow institutions. And if you have an idea that we have, which is pretty out of the ordinary and pretty pretty outlandish, then it is not uh, easy to, to amalgamate that with the routine uh, business that a regular pharma company has. So you need to... It, it's much more practical to have a startup company where you can be adaptable, flexible, where you can make quick decisions uh, and, and don't have the, the rigid structure that would, would slow things down. So, so and, and actually about 10 years ago, I got involved in the world of the small startups, uh, spin-offs from universities, and, and also the, company, the, the partners that I have uh, been working with and that have now joined, they're also quite skillful and creative in, in setting up uh, new organizations, new ideas. And, and that, that is, I think, to develop something completely novel, uh, you need a fresh organization and, and one that can uh, mold uh, whatever way it wants and, and, and be very agile and, and flexible. It's a big step to try to start a new company. It's also a big step to decide to be the CEO when you're coming from the background as a, as a physician or a scientist. How did you go through that process and say, yeah, I think I'm the, the person, I'm the right person to do this? I think if you ask many CEOs, which you do, you, you will probably hear 
that they somehow roll into their job uh, mo- most of the occasions. Not somebody who was who born or thinks when they're 16 years old, I want to become a CEO of a company. So it, it is usually when you get together with a few people and, and I was the one who took the initiative, that I was the one who started to coordinate it. And, and then, uh, yeah, so somebody needs to play the CEO role. And that is usually the person who has the oversight and um, can, can coordinate it best. Um, I, I must say that over the years, I've had several roles. My, my background is that of a medical doctor. Uh, I started to work in pharma as a clinical research f- physician, doing actual trial work and, and and then gradually I rolled into the more organizational uh, roles like um, medical director of a company, running uh, medical departments, getting more involved in the strategic part of the business. Um, at, at some point, I did a master of business. So I also decided to add something to my business acumen because I felt that was a nice fit to also also um, looking at uh, things from, from uh, more, more angles than just the medical. Uh, and um, yeah, I, th- I think I should say that after s- some 30 years in the business, it's, it's actually nice to have to be in a position where you can also take decisions yourself, and, and not being have having to ask permission for every step you take. So, it uh, I must say that is the positive part of it. Um, the the downside of being a CEO is that you have to solve issues every day, and and every every thing that is not certain or that's uh, problematic always comes comes to you in the end so it is um, an interesting role i should say um, and and so far i'm, I'm enjoying it tremendously with, certainly with the team uh, that uh, that we have put together how did you decide that what you could do at the new company would be something that really couldn't be done anywhere else was it, was it a, a whole new way of thinking about metals and cancer Yes, yes, that that is true. Yeah, the, let's say the underlying concept is that um, uh, metals play an important role in uh, in cancer, uh, in the development of cancer, in the perpetuation of cancer, and and uh, the underlying idea is that uh, man is exposed to all sorts of metals throughout life, and uh, o- over time, this accumulation of metals in the body can create problems. And this, uh, obviously, we know that acute intoxication of metals is uh, toxic and, and poisonous. We see a lot of professional intoxications, and people suffer from from exposure to chromium or to to uh, cadmium or through through professions. But the chronic exposure of people who are exposed to metals in everyday life, there, there's not much known to this, uh, and it only. The, the big picture started only too much in the last few years. And it is a credit to the oncologist I met that she looked at her uh, leukemic patients and she saw an elevation of uh, metals, of toxic metals in the blood of, of her leukemic patients. And also she saw that the extent of the elevation was associated with long-term outcome, with survival. And... and yeah, that, that prompted the question, can I use existing products or, exist, or fine-tune existing products and see whether they have an influence on the disease progression? And, and that is a concept whereby you, on the one hand, have a completely new approach, a new idea. You, you uh, work on the uh, crossroads of uh, physics, of biology, of uh, artificial intelligence, of simply the clinical treatment of patients, which is very complex. 
Uh, and on the other hand, you have to do with uh, a completely new therapeutic area, which nothing is explored. The extraction of metals to treat disease is very poorly understood. So you work in a new area where you got some existing products off the shelf, which are actually crude tools. So we, we are fine-tuning those. We are looking at sophisticated ways of putting products together. So there is a very creative element that you need to, to do there and, and work with people in formulation. and every, so, so it's actually the, the um, emergence of such a new product and product line is something that amalgamates a lot of expertise and brings a lot of things together. And typically, that works best if you have a young company where you got a few people who are very creative, have got a few very bright colleagues who, who, who can put things together and, and connect these and ask the right questions. So, so yeah, auto automatically that brings you to the certain strategy that uh, only can be done in a structure where you're very small and nimble. And, and uh, so, so it's, uh, yeah, let, let's say from the invention and from the development of this completely whole product line follows the structure of the company and, and that's uh, typically a, a small company with uh, a, a lot of uh, specialists around it. When I hear those words creativity, uh, interdisciplinary, uh, multiple indications potentially, I, I think that as a CEO, the job of figuring what, what it is that you're going to pursue and then specifically how you're going to spend your time each day, that must be its own kind of challenge because in a sense it's limitless. So how, how do you, how does a CEO go about figuring out what they're going to attack on a daily basis? I mean, is that, is that something you know or is that something you learn? I think over time it has developed. Um, I, I was in the lucky circumstance that I brought in two veteran colleagues one of them is a very good scientist who, as it appeared, uh, did his PhD 30 years ago on the role of metals in, uh, in uh, chemotherapy and the, the effect of chemotherapy. And the other person is a senior business um, executive who has a network in industry and um, a lot of marketing experience. So these are the two veteran colleagues who helped me uh, define the... the uh, what we should do on a daily basis. And that also takes a lot of burden from my shoulder because I have all this flow of ideas and people bring bring to the table some uh, good approaches. The, the fourth founder is a, a legal specialist because if you have, if you start as a company, you need to, you need to have somebody on board who can deal with all the administrative parts with the, all the contracts, all the liaisons with the external parties. And I would say that over the last four years, the priorities for the CEO have changed. And um, on, on the one hand, it is looking at uh, what is possible in terms of indications. Uh, and, and then my med medical background helps and the fact that I've been involved in drug development. So we're looking at the ease of development, also uh, looking at niche indications where you can make a big difference. And, and also indications where there's a high unmet needs for for patients. So we tried to make a selection of that. Uh, and, and we started with the indication acute myeloid leukemia. That is also the indication where most of the work was done in research institutions. But we're now looking at uh, lung cancer, at pancreatic cancer. So, so we're looking at setting up these small models 
and seeing whether we can extract uh, from the models the information that we want that justify further development. So, so that is actually a, a big part of uh, what, what I've been doing in the last four years. On the other hand, uh, as a startup, the large part of the work of CEO goes into fundraising. And that can be a nightmare because especially if you have a, an outlandish concept as we have, which is doesn't treat patients based on a, simply on a product that attaches to a receptor or a product that uh, deals with vasculature of tumor. We have something that's completely new and, and it's difficult for VCs to, um, to, to understand that and to, to find comfort in that thought. So we had to actually quite, we, we had to put quite a lot of effort in fundraising but as a ceo it's um yeah i i get up and i never know how the day is going to uh, evolve um i usually think that some days uh, i i hope that some days when i when my agenda is clear that uh, they will be quiet and i can catch up with some word but these often turn out to be the most uh, busy days and and uh, sometimes it's uh yeah we, we have acute things to solve and it's uh that's the charm of a, of a startup. Uh, I guess everybody will tell you the same. It's uh, this little little routine, put it that way. Through this experience of being a CEO, what have you learned about your management approach that it says this is this kind of defines how you work? Well, particularly in a small company, the the uh, traditional approach of of some one person dictating to others what they do is not very helpful. And if you are starting with a group of four or five people, then it's just it is sitting together sharing the responsibilities and the task and and ultimately i need to take the final say or or summarize it so i see that role as more as a participative uh, way, way of of managing um but i think that that is also the the management style i, I like most you, you bring people on board because they contribute they come with ideas and then the task of a CEO is actually to challenge and to ask the right questions and, and make sure things are um, d discussed and that you get in the end, not, not, not everybody can have their way, but that you get a good consensus and, and a good understanding between the team members. So, so I see that more as, as a way of uh, the CEO is more a sort of chairman, a facilitator, somebody who supports where he, where he needs. Uh, try to get a feel for where people need help or where they could do with some extra external advice. So it's, so it's more, more that role. And, and I think, uh, yeah, that, that uh, is certainly in a startup is, is the only way you can, uh, you can work, uh, in my opinion. I, I must say, John, that also had the pleasure to appoint some very senior colleagues and they, they are no walkovers. So, so if um, they have an opinion uh, that, um, we, we need to listen to them. So it's uh, it's, it's sometimes even, uh, for, for me, the challenge to uh, limit the meetings to the hours that we set uh, for them to do, because uh, a lot of things raise new questions, etc. cetera. But, uh, but certainly it's important that everybody has their say. And the, the emphasis is also, if there's a, an interesting scientific question or a question on research strategy, then the head of R&D obviously has a heavier say and more knowledge to certain topics so the others ask questions but in the end so far we've always been able to come to a, a common way forward can you recall when you were a young person maybe eight or nine or ten whatever be appropriate what 
what that self-image you had, no doubt, based on what you thought your parents thought you should do when you were a grown-up. Do you remember that? Does that have anything to do with what you're doing professionally? Not really, but I can still remember what I liked to do when I was that age. I, I found it hard to choose between uh, selling ice creams and becoming an astronaut. <laughs> so these were my two ambitions when I was uh, eight years old. And uh, it was also the time when, uh, when mankind uh, traveled to the moon. So that was a very exciting period. So that was for long in my mind. And then I later switched to I want to become a helicopter pilot uh, for the safe and rescue uh, services. So, so there was something in there <laughs> that vaguely uh, is related to, to, to what I'm doing now. Uh, but I always had some fascination for, for these uh, uh, professions. And, and at, at some point, I yeah decided to... Uh, go to medicine school and I never looked back. Do you recall a moment, either as an undergraduate or graduate, or even well into your medical training when you had that realization that I, I have fallen in love with something, this, this, this idea, this discipline? A few occasions, yes. I, I thought medical school was... Um... Uh, d divided first a few years in a sort of theoretical part where you get a lot of um, uh, yeah a lot lot of knowledge which is not always practical. But I love the uh, the the latter years where you treat patients and get into contact and have time to sit down with people. And uh, yeah, it's ni nice to hear these stories. I can still remember one or two patients that made a large impression on me because the because of their diseases and what it meant to them. So so I was. Um, Especially when I did my internship in the Department of Oncology, that made uh, made a big impression. Uh, also, love my uh, months in uh, pediatric wards, which is also, yeah, it's at some point, yeah, it's, it's at some point, it's uh, it's it's amazing how these dynamics go with families and and uh, people affected by the disease of a child. So, so I had some things where I thought I'm in the right profession. Um, although I never fell in love really with the clinical work because I thought that was quite repetitive. As, uh, as a doctor, when you examine a patient, you ask your routine questions, and if they say no at question number three, you ask two more questions. So you, you get into a routine of, um, of, of doing, of, of uh, yeah, be, be going on autopilot, put it that way. And at some point, I, I got involved in... Uh, the effect of medicines, and I never thought that was so fascinating. I was working uh, at at uh, the time when I just graduated. I was working for an internal specialist who had a cohort of seventy patients with AIDS, and that was the early nineties. So that was exact. That was precisely the time when that was, yeah, the the challenge to find new medicines for that. And and uh, a company called Welcome, the Burroughs Welcome developed AZT retrovir that was the first effective uh, anti-HIV compound and I got somehow involved in the clinical studies I saw the effect and then I thought well th this is a real thing if, if you develop medicines you really m make a difference. It, it, must, it must have been an interesting pivot to on the one hand connect with patients on an individual human level and realize how vulnerable they are and how much they need you as a physician on the one hand and then on the other hand realize i can only reach one patient at a time it's sort of a uh, this kind of a riddle 
Whereas what you're doing now potentially can affect the lives of many, many patients and, and still profoundly, right? I mean, if things work out the way you hope. Exactly. Uh, if, if we're looking at the first indication, uh, uh, let's say acute myeloid leukemia, the worldwide there's, there's about 1 million patients who suffer from that. And uh, over the last decades, there have been some minor improvements, but, but not very much. And it still has a pretty pro poor prognosis. And, and yeah, it's it's um, yeah. Also, also for that reason, it's is uh, very satisfying to work in that area and see whether you can improve some something in the in niche areas where where yeah, there's a lot to be discovered and improved. That that is uh, yeah. To uh, to us, that's an extra motivation to uh, to do that. So when people say Evo, who is Pleco Therapeutics? What's your typical answer for that? We're working with a completely novel concept and that we start to appreciate the role of metals uh, and the, the way people get contaminated over life with metals and that they play a role in disease and the pathophysiology and also in the maintenance of those diseases and that we try to, to treat that. Yeah, the whole new way of, of approaching medicine by looking at underlying causes of cancer so not looking at mechanisms or targets, or but certainly removing away the toxic elements in microenvironment where these metals cause damage to DNA, to stem cells that uh, multiply. So, so we, we are tackling the underlying cause of cancer, and that is something which uh, only few companies are really, really doing. So, so we had a, have a completely different approach that is uh, different than from any other company, and it's it's even. Uh, so, so unique that we had to design our own uh, preclinical models to do that because the uh, if if you have a typical development of a pharmaceutical you start with models in cells or uh, on the drawing board in cells and smaller animals and then later into humans if you order cells cell lines or animals for your uh, laboratory studies they're not contaminated with metals Actually, you can catch a few rats in the sewers of Manhattan, but they you wouldn't know what they're contaminated with. But that that's sort of mimics the human uh, situation. So we order, order clean rats and, and mice, but we have to contaminate them with a mixture of metals and make sure that mimics the human situation. Because only, only then it makes sense to test the effect of our of our drugs. So, so we're doing something completely different, how to design our own uh, models that were not validated yet, and now we got a reproducible model. So, so we're doing something that is completely out of the ordinary. And for investors, I would say, uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, everybody talked about microbiome and nobody understood it. And now it's the biggest thing in uh, in, in drugs and in, in uh, pathophysiology and uh, immunotherapy the same. The, the first companies in immunotherapy had the biggest problem finding funding because nobody thought uh, how it would be possible to trigger and to to uh, fine-tune the immune system so it would start to remove cancer cells. So so sometimes a concept uh, is in its infancy and then you have to convince people what what uh, the significance it can, uh, it, it uh, may have. But we, we're looking at metals, the role of metals in certain cancers. We're also looking at the role of metals in some neurodegenerative diseases. Metals have uh, affinity for some body tissue, like like bone marrow. It's one of the preferential places, but also nerve cells. And and we know that uh, diseases like uh, 
Parkinson, Alzheimer, ALS, that there are quite a few publications where people reported elevation of metals in these tissues. And so, so that's also on our radar to, to have a look at that. So, so actually we, we are um, yeah, exploring something which is fascinating. It's a journey. It's something that, yeah, opens up opportunities. And that's what I would, that's how we try to explain it to investors. And if they sit long enough and try to hear a story, most of them get fascinated by it. Um, and and um, it, it is sometimes difficult to summarize that in a very short uh, span of time. If you got to 10 minutes and you want to explain your business model and the background of it, that, that, then that is almost impossible. I imagine that there must be some investors who hear that and their instinct may be to say, hmm, what category can I place this company into so I can begin to weigh whether I want to invest or not? I mean, that, unfortunately, that sometimes can be part of the deal, right? When, when they do understand, that's great because it leads to the next conversation. When they don't and they put you into a different category than the one that, that Plico is in, what does that category tend to be? And how do you bring them back around? It is difficult that we don't fit the uh, standard um, definitions for categories because we are developing therapies that remove uh, or, or um, remove toxins from the microenvironments. And, and by doing that, chemotherapy becomes more efficient again. So, so we're using that as a supportive therapy to make other therapies work better, which, which is an extra complexity, of course, if you develop it. It's not we do A and then B happens and then C follows. So, so, so it is um, a, a different uh, category of drugs. Certainly it falls under supportive uh, therapy, co-therapy. Uh, it, it is compatible with all the therapies that are available, but we, we are doing something which is uh, yeah, difficult to describe. In uh, uh, we, we call the category plecoid agents, and um, the, uh, we've also got a trademark for that name because plecoids, when we looked at a company name, we um, found that many names were already taken. Certainly, if you go to Greek and Roman mythology and all the animal uh, names that they are taken so we ended up with the the plecostomus uh, fish which is it is a tropical uh, fish used in aquaria to clean the algae from the inside uh, of, of the glass and the stones and that's actually the the analogy with our drugs so it's called after the plecostomus uh, sucker mouth catfish in uh, the uk i'm not sure what the us equivalent is but it, it cleans the aquarium and that's actually what represents what what our products are doing cleaning cells from the inside. When I saw that on your website, that seems like an apt simile because it's also organic. It's also working on, on a via a natural process. Is that, do I have that right? Yeah, we, we remove inhibitors because metals, they stick to DNA. They, they, found, they make it more difficult to read. They stick to biomolecules, to proteins, make them more difficult to work. So basically what we do is, uh, um, and, and some of these proteins can also uh, cause uh, trigger cell death when the when the damage is too great. So so it's important that uh, a number of these biomolecules function properly, and removing metals repairs actually the natural function in these cells. And and that's also part of our research is also to uh, elucidate that process. And and uh, we we have a much better understanding now after a few years of research how it works but, but basically you're right uh, john that that is the uh, the way we try to restore the natural uh, 
functioning of of uh, of the system. Put it that way. Let me come back to that pigeonholing question. I, I just want to explore that one step further, Evo. I'm just guessing because for most of the companies I've worked with, it's a step they have to pass through where you get misperceived as company category X and you're really category Y. And I know that you're in a new category, so it makes it much more complicated. But, but I want to ask a question. Surely there must be a pattern that you've encountered of, oh, actually, we're, you think we're this based on what I've told you, but we're that. What, what is it that people would think in, you know, misperceive? I think what they misperceive, um, that they probably perceive that we do something with metal toxicity. That, that is the um, first thing people hear. And then they associate that with acute accumulation. And what they probably miss, and that is actually the basis, the whole basis for our concept is that we live in a different world where the whole chemical environment has changed over the last 200 years. And that's actually what we are looking at is the chronic uh, accumulation of metals. And give you give you an example, uh, um, if, if you walk on streets, you inhale lead from traffic. If you work and you sit in an office, you are exposed to cadmium, it's in batteries. If you eat crab fish, it has traces of mercury. So, we, we, involuntarily you accumulate metals and over the 200 years ago the industrial revolution started and only and shortly thereafter certain diseases um, were um, reported more frequently like, like parkinson is a disease that was reported for the first time in 1830 and that was about 30 years after the industrial revolution started so so if, if you look at that uh, and, and also analyzing lead content and bone marrow from nowadays men compared to prehistoric uh, men, uh, we, we got about a hundredfold more lead content in our bone marrow. So, so it is obvious that when that reaches a certain thresholds and go, exceeds it, that it can lead to abnormal behavior of uh, tissues and cells. So, so we're looking at a whole concept and that's, that's what we're trying to get through. People associate metals with, okay, you need them for certain biological processes as catalysts as what whatever um, and sometimes people get acutely exposed but our underlying thought is that the whole environment has changed and that has caused a number of diseases and and we also live twice as long as we did 150 years ago as men so the body has and, and half lifetime of toxic metals in the body is very long it's it's a certain uh, decennia so so there's no doubt that the fact that we see a number of diseases when we get 60 or 70 years old that were not there 100 years ago, that this is related to some external factors uh, to our, our mind. So, so yeah, what, what people don't see is that bigger picture, I think, and that's what we're trying to convey, that message, and uh, that is uh, quite, quite uh, difficult to, to get that through. How does the pipeline that you've developed reflect your vision for where the company wants to be and, and, and what the company is going to be? We started off by looking at what compounds are available that have the uh, characteristics that we are looking for. And, and if you look at the type of agents that we are exploring, which is called chelating agents, they chelate, in other words, extract metals from the body, then there are quite a few agents available, not always uh, as specific to the metals that we want to extract, not always have the broad spectrum that we like, 
to have because we know it's many different metals. So, so we have started to uh, make a selection of uh, of the compounds that are known. And if you look at Wikipedia and you look at the list of chelating agents, there's 160 or 200 agents that are mentioned there. So we started by selecting and bringing it down to the agents that are known to men, that were tested in men. And then you come to a, a dozen or so, and, and we brought that down to, to an even low, lower number. So we are looking at known agents. We're looking at modification of those agents because you, you can change them uh, also drawing board exercises. You can change and modify the molecule somewhat to give it better pharmacokinetic properties that you want. So, so we're looking at um, also analogs of these agents that were once designed and, and not taken further to the clinic. So, so we have a whole range of, of known agents, uh, agents that we want to modify and agents that we know existed once, but not, were not tested properly. And on the other hand, we have a lot of clinical indications where we want to uh, have a look at. Um, we, we look at leukemia because that's the starting point also of the investigator who uh, came up with the concept. We're also looking at small cell lung cancer, which is an aggressive subtype of lung cancer associated to smoking. So you can imagine that through the inhalation of smoke, that metal deposits uh, in, in uh, lung alveoli and that causes local uh, inflammation and triggers cancerous processes. Uh, but, but there's actually five or six uh, cancers where you can, uh, if you do literature search, where, where you can find an association with metal deposition. So, so, so to us, it's um, simply a matter of getting the resources and funding in over time to explore all this. Now, what we are doing is, in addition to trying to set up tests in patients we're also looking at biobanks because there's a lot of material from patients who have suffered from a disease and we're looking at the metal profiles that we find there so get a confirmation of what we saw in leukemia and see whether that same profile of contamination also exists in other diseases and if that metal profile for instance a lung cancer could be a different metal profile than in leukemia if if those profiles match you can easily argue, well, if we develop product A, it could be efficient for indications uh, A and B. Um, but, but if there's a mismatch or if we see a different uh, emphasis in the profile, different uh, metals that are involved, we, we might need another compound or combination of compounds to tackle that. So, so we're actually at the beginning of uh, it, the, the research is ongoing for a few years, but still in its infancy. And I think we're looking at, uh, yeah, uh, we, we try to stay focused to, to at least move forward the product. But you can imagine it's quite a, quite, quite a big puzzle that we uh, are trying to solve. And, and with the help of some academic centers as well who, who got involved. Um, so, so we are working, working on exploring and developing the concept. If Pleco Therapeutics develops the way you hope it will, how much... Do you allow yourself to think about just how much of a change it could make for patients, or is that something you think about later as you as you learn more and you get further down the process? I think we are already thinking of what it will mean to patients. Um, as as we see it, we're developing a whole new field of uh, science, and that sounds a bit exaggerated, or but but it is really something that only few have explored and have uh, really looked into and it allows the 
generation of a whole portfolio of products that might help in diseases that are difficult to treat. Uh, for, for good reason, we start with orphan drugs uh, and, and we, orphan indications, I should say. So with diseases where there's limited uh, uh, potential for effective treatment. So we hope to see a big difference there. For a company, I could see that um, if, if you can extract metals and slow down the disease process, and for instance, in leukemia, prevent relapses or delay them, then you make a few steps in the direction whereby you can start to see cancer as a chronic disease that can be controlled. And, and we saw the same in the early days with tuberculosis, later with HIV AIDS. These were considered mortal diseases, but they're now diseases that can be brought under control and people live their lives and, and uh, they, they um, have, have a recently normal life. If, uh, and, and I think with certain cancers, I, I'm hoping we can achieve the same. And, and certainly we know that these metals perpetuate diseases because they're still the underlying cause of chromosome damage and, and uh, re resurfacing of, uh, of disease processes. So if we can control that better, then our therapy can hopefully help in making small steps in towards controlling the disease. And that, that is actually my great ambition. Then I, then I would be very happy if, if at the end of the day we could, uh, we could show that. And, and applicable to many cancers and for many patients, that, that would be wonderful. As you think about where biopharma is headed, and who knows where that would be over the next few years, do you f see a place for yourself as, as a, uh, a particular area that, that you, you want to be in the forefront of? Well, I, I think the areas we're looking for, and they all relate to the role of metals in disease, the areas we're looking for is oncology, neurology, there's some cardiovascular diseases that's also known. So, so, so I, I would say we we try to um, prom promote the concept and and emphasize and and but find out more about the role of metals. And I think if if that is more uh, uh, on the radar screen of large pharma companies, they might also take that into consideration when they develop novel drugs. And and uh, so, so I only see us as a sort of pioneer company who developed something which is a bit new, a bit strange, a bit out of the blue, um, but, but might be very useful for uh, future companies and, and also particularly our model, that uh, preclinical models that we have set up and that we've now um, um, established. I, I think they might be quite useful to test uh, future drugs as well, to see how these drugs uh, function in a contaminated animal model. So, so I see it as, as, as a sort of uh, company that hopes to facilitate the, the future drug development. It's, it's a big adventure, a very nice uh, journey. Thanks for speaking with me today, Ivo. Well, thanks, uh, John. It was a pleasure to uh, be invited as a guest. I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much. Like several founders and CEOs who have been my guest on BioBoss, Ivo Timmermans factors in a measure of serendipity when considering how he became the leader of a biopharma company. As Evo says, there are not many 16-year-olds who say to themselves, I want to become a CEO. Evo's path to leadership is shaped by his experience as a clinician serving patients in a pediatric ward and his understanding that I'm in the right profession. From there, Evo gained experience as a researcher in HIV clinical studies 
where he saw the effect therapeutics could have for patients and their families. As Evo put it, I thought, this is the real thing. If you develop medicines, you really make a difference. Evo's background as a medical doctor and researcher prepared him for that moment of serendipity when he met an oncologist in Chicago at the American Society for Clinical Oncology Conference and realized the potential inherent in the therapeutic concept she was exploring. When I asked Evo if he considered taking this new idea to a traditional pharmaceutical company, Evo said yes, but, and described the advantages a startup company can bring to bear, adaptability, flexibility, and rapid decision-making required to prevent the process from slowing down. Evo says, to develop something completely novel, you need a fresh organization, a nimble workplace with highly creative teammates. To make the most of this advantage, Evo believes his role as a CEO is to challenge and ask the right questions, to make sure things are thoroughly discussed. As Evo said, the traditional approach of one person dictating to others what they do, not very helpful. The goal for Evo is to lead a team of colleagues who are collectively exploring something fascinating, a journey that opens up possibilities to develop a whole new field of science. Evo's experience as a physician leads him back to his starting point to serve patients. In his words, if he can help advance the viewpoint that some cancers can be treated as a chronic disease, which can be controlled, it will be wonderful. I'm John Simboli. You're listening to BioBoss.